In today's episode, I have a casual conversation with my friend Dwayne Fossil. Him and his wife have unique backgrounds. She's a CPA. He comes from Wall Street in the financial services industry and private banking. And then they're both active real estate investors. I had fun. We hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening. Okay, so this is my friend Dwayne Fossil. Okay. Hello. 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 <laughs> so let's tell us who you are, your background, and, and what. You know, how'd you get to this point? So, um, my name is Dwayne. Nice to be on here with you, James. I appreciate it. So, for me, I've been in banking and financial services for 20 plus years. I'm 45 years old now. So, I just say 20 plus years instead of. Because I lose track after a while. You don't look a day over 37, I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And so I I started out in the um, investment world with a couple firms. And when uh, uh, I eventually went into banking and on the banking side, I've been in uh, private banking. Um, commercial banking and the last role I had within the banking world was as a mortgage lender on the residential side. So I've seen both sides of the lending equation. I've been involved in banking quite a bit. So for me, uh, the numbers were always uh, an interesting thing. And then, you know, when you're in the banking world, you're kind of doing your role for that job it's not up to you to have a macro vision. It's sort of up to you to do your job within, within the, within that confined space. So, um, and then I guess real quickly on my wife, she's been a CPA for 20 plus years as well. And, uh, and all with, uh, with the same firm. So she does, um, she's the hardest worker I know. So she's, she's always been, uh, with, with that firm and, and does really well for herself and our family. So, that's that's who we are, and we may be the most boring family in the universe, but we but we both take an interest in numbers. I kind of have a, I've always had sort of a, a macro vision of, of things, and so I like to big picture things, and then we're a good team because she's more of a day to day kind of person. So, well, yeah. So and in in that sort of, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say so just giving you that background on, on my mentality and, and where my interest lies and where my wife's interest lies. Um, <coughs> you know, we're always wanting to better ourselves and, and do well for ourselves. And we've always been of the belief to keep control of our, our finances, our money and try to do better for ourselves. And so I'm always trying to learn. I find it interesting to learn. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the last time I read a fiction book, but I read nonfiction books just about every day, <laughs> at least a few pages. Um, amazing what you can learn with, uh, with certain video applications like YouTube. Um, and so as you, as you, if, if you try to better educate yourself, it's, it's sometimes tough to filter out the noise, but at some point I had, it wasn't, it wasn't through your, broadcast your YouTube, uh, podcast, uh, 
it was through somebody else. And I couldn't tell you who it is. And I had heard the name of the book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And so I started investigating it a little more. And went right down a rabbit hole, didn't you? Went right down that rabbit hole, right. Which you can, you can tend to do in any number of nuanced ways, especially in the financial world. Right. Um, but a lot of times, you know, if you use your common sense, you'll, you come to a point and you say, yeah, that's not really going to work for me. Or that is something I need to investigate a little further. So, right. You can, you can separate the, you can separate the wheat from the shaft pretty quickly if you're, you know, if you're trying, I think, but you know, your, your background being in the financial services, I mean, can we go a little, you know, expand on that just a little bit? We're, I mean, my recollection was that you were a wholesaler for the mutual fund industry at some point in time. Is that right? Or did I? Not exactly a wholesaler. Um, to give a little color on that, maybe for folks, you know, a wholesaler is employed by a mutual fund company right. to go find institutional clients who will sell their mutual funds. Or it could be to find retail to sell their mutual funds. I didn't do that, but I worked with those folks in the private okay. wealth management arena. So, I got, um, it. I got it. And then prior to that, I'd actually worked for a mutual fund services company. And so I'm quite aware of all the fees of a, of a typical mutual fund. You know, right. I'm aware of how, I don't know if everyone's aware of how many fees are in the typical, we'll call it equity mutual fund. Equity mutual funds, a stock mutual fund, a fund that invests mostly in stocks. You could have hybrid funds. It doesn't matter. They all have very high fees. And many of those fees aren't required by law to be <laughs> fee, um, disclosed. <laughs> in All in the same place, right? I mean, they can, they can be at the front part of the prospectus that you, the investor receives on an annual basis. They can be in the uh, quarterly statements, the annual statements, and... And then there some are esoteric fees, but they're embedded. Right. So you know, so they're embedded. So when you get your when you get your statement, your four hundred and one k statement, or wherever you're invested, you just kind of see your balances, and you know, you just have to. Um, most people, I don't think, take as much responsibility as they might, because they assume everything's fair and everything's on the up and up within that world. So the typical folks might invest in a 401k if they have excess funds to do so. Those 401ks were not designed for the average person anyway. Um, but that's kind of what we, I'll say devolved into as a society as, you know, pensions and, and things are, are going by the wayside. It's no, kind of, no, you're a- having to save more yourself, put your own, money away and making that decision and, and companies make that decision for you in the first week when you're signing all the HR paperwork, they'll say, do you want to sign up automatically? Oh, now it's automatic. Now, yeah. Now you have to opt out though. Right. See, it's a new yeah, now you have to opt out, right? You, right. And then you're automatically opted into the uh, target date funds. Right. Right. Which may have the highest fees of all. Yeah. Barry Dyke. And yep. No, no question. And, and a lot of, I must say, you know, a lot of the fees are fully disclosed up front. But we're we're referencing and talking about some of the fees that might not be uh, fully disclosed with ease for the for the for the investor, right? But uh, 
And then in, I would always suggest most people who invest in a 401k, they're not reading the prospectus of the mutual fund they're investing in. They're going to look at what are the one, three, five, and 10 year returns, which are misleading in and of themselves. And I guess this all goes back to your original or my original thought of take more responsibility for your money. Um, and as I investigated the becoming your own banker process, it was not so much a, a hope or a wish or a want to get return on my money. It was to take control of my money and use becoming your own banker. Think about that phrase, becoming your own banker. If you become your own banker, if you can possibly do that, the first thing I thought of is, well, I'm going to need a lot of money to do that. You know, I'm going to need capital and you do need capital. Um, but it, it, it is a really a concept that I had to learn about. I wasn't here. I am in the financial services world for 20 plus years. And I had never even heard that term until about a year ago when I started accidentally finding it on my own. And, you know, once I read Nelson, Nelson Nash's, his book three or four times, I started to get the concepts and still don't have them all, but it's an eye opener. It's an eye opener for controlling your own money and your own process. And the, the various phrases he says throughout there, it's kind of each time you read the book, there's a couple more phrases that you'd say, wow, light bulb, you know? And so it was, um, it was something where I really enjoyed it because I, I really wanted to, you know, become my own banker. And that meant I had to get serious about learning more and more about it. And I, you know, and that's when we spoke, but, um, and then you helped educate me on, on some of those, um, some of those details and, and we're excited. And so we've begun implementing this process this past year. So you're swimming upstream, right? Going against the grain, going against the norm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, breaking. Well, I think if you're construct. Yeah. If you, if you say this phrase to anybody, they're going to not know what you're talking about. (laughs) Right. No, if you think about that with your background in the financial world and, um, Allison's background as a CPA and you've never heard, you never heard the phrase becoming your own banker until about a year ago. I mean, does wall street not know about this? Does do the mutual fund companies not know about this? Does the, the, the commercial banks, do they not know about this? All right. The, Does the a life insurance companies it. not know about this? The banks know about it, right? Because what's that phrase? Bully? Bank-owned life insurance? Absolutely. The bank executives know about it because if you look at their balance sheets, <laughs> maybe the largest part of their balance sheets, and I don't know this for, for a fact, I'm speculating, but I had read and seen and heard and so forth banks themselves buy life insurance uh but they don't they don't teach their employees that about this there's no i don't know of any b schools out the business schools out there that teach this to their students you're certainly not going to learn it in in middle school high school you're not going to learn it at university level you'll learn it when you start trying to dig into these things and and you'll only learn it if you kind of stumble upon it because I don't think I'm going to a, a, a gathering of my friends and I'm probably not bringing this up. Right. <laughs> I might. Yeah, you, you'll learn it if you 
or if they, if, if they ask you about it, maybe right. But it's it is a it, it is a pretty awkward sometimes topic to initiate, you know, with your friends and family, and because nobody wants to be the odd man out. You know, you don't want to be the only guy in the room talking about something that no one knows about, and everybody already knows or they've heard all their life that life insurance is the world's worst place to put money. So they they come from. A, a preconceived idea right of life insurance so it's a difficult awkward conversation to have <clears throat> i mean unless you're just trying to trigger people then it can be amusing <laughs> bringing it up <laughs> right there's several obstacles to overcome with with becoming your own banker and and one is what does that even mean mm-hmm. uh so there's explaining that there's explaining well what vehicle should i use to become my own banker should i use a savings account or a checking account or a mutual fund or uh, gold or what should I use? So then there's life insurance. Well, okay. I've heard of life insurance. A lot of people think, you know, by term life insurance is the cheapest and it's the best thing for me. Um, you're not taught that when you hear whole life insurance, you're taught to, it's, it's got a connotation with it. Turn away from that. It's expensive. It's a rip off due to certain people saying that all the time. So it's beat into your head in the sort of common lexicon. So, when I say you have to learn about becoming your own banker, you have to learn what type of vehicle you'll want to utilize to become your own banker because you can become your own banker, I guess, with a with a checking account if you really want to. It's not the most efficient thing to do. You can become it with a mutual fund. It's not the best or ideal thing to do, um, but whole life insurance structured for this whole thing. Uh, as you say, and I might steal a couple of phrases you've said, but that's, no what's, that's, that's what you have to know. I mean, you have to know uh, high cash value life insurance that pays dividends and interest. That's what you'll want to use for, for these things. And, and once you realize that you can borrow from yourself and, and uh, utilize this this whole life policy as as your ve- as your primary vehicle that comes with a a death benefit, <laughs> which is a major part. But then you you kind of put it out of your mind as you start thinking of how to use this thing on a day to day basis. Uh, but you shouldn't, you know, it should always be there in the back of your mind. So I, I, I've got to say that I'm going on and on, but yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I got to say, that educate, life, how do you educate your friends on this? <laughs> I don't know. You, I don't you, know. you, you give them uh, or sell them, make them buy Nelson's first book, becoming your own banker. That's my opinion. Right. You know, I'm just saying it's, it is tough, the education, because really we do have to do the unlearning right there. And that's really more challenging than learning sometimes. But, um, they, I think people, everyone, whether whether this idea, this concept intrigues them or ticks them off, they should read a 92-page book, right? Just bet it for themselves. And then travel down the rabbit hole, right, as far as they want to go. And people, you know, like you said earlier, that, that you can bank with anything, margin account, farm equipment, CDs, mattress money, gold. You can, we, banking is a process, right? It's a movement of money. It just so happens that dividend-paying whole life insurance has all the characteristics that are required for a personal banking system. And Nelson really kind of discovered that, you know, everyone, I mean, the idea of cash value and and the ability to collateralize that cash value is over 200 years old. 
Nelson, you know, brought scale to that idea, you know, scale. So, and I appreciate the work that he did, no question. But Yeah, you know, um, I just, you, you got to want to do this. You got to want to educate yourself. I probably have spent, I don't know how many hours trying to learn about it, re-reviewing what I've tried to learn about it. And then you just, and then you have to, you have to implement it. But the worst thing that can happen to you implementing all this is that you're saving more money. Yeah. You're just kind of saving it. You're saving it in this vehicle over here, as opposed to that vehicle over there. And so it's, it's something that I'd like to, you know, continue to, and will continue to build uh, over time. And it takes time and it takes discipline and it takes, it takes a lot of, a lot of willpower to, to get yourself going and set up. And it's, it's a, it's not, it's not hard, but it just, you're doing all these things in life. And if you, if you're, you know, 45 and you have 2.3 kids and, and a house and a, and a, and all these things and a family, you, you know, you got a lot of important things to do. So you got to, you got to make, you got to educate yourself to the point where, you know, you can't just invest in a 401k. You can't just go have a bank account. You can't just go get a car loan from a bank. You can't just go get a mortgage from a bank. If you could figure out how to make yourself way more efficient than you currently are, you'll realize you need to go down this route. And that's, uh, that's how adamant I am about it. And I've only, like I said, just begun using this within the past, you know, year. And, um, I'm excited about, I'm excited about the, uh, the opportunities for it. Uh, you can take your chances in the stock market, just throw your money at, at wall street and, uh, and, and so forth and, and hope for the best. That's what most people do. It's, it's too much work to worry about your money for most people. Sure. Well, you, you mentioned the word discipline. No, no. I mean, I agree with you. So it's your opinion, so it's valid, and I happen to completely agree with you. Most people don't have discipline, right? So you have to have discipline, but you have to have discipline in anything that's worth doing, right? right. And then, you know, you mentioned savings. Um, I just read uh, or just looked at, reviewed a uh, a Fred chart, the Federal Reserve Economic Data out of St. Louis Federal Reserve. And it showed the average savings rate in America today is at 6.2. And I'm reviewing it with uh, young man Ryan Griggs. And I'm like, Ryan, I don't even believe those numbers. I don't, I don't think the average savings rate currently is 6.2. Although, that's what was, uh, you know, that's what the Federal Reserve says. So, but you mentioned savings, right? Most people don't have discipline. Most people don't have savings. You said Earlier, the worst thing that could happen is you're saving money and you have a death benefit. Um, so I, I agree with your opinions, and I appreciate you sharing them. And then um, I'm I'm I want to kind of back up a little bit. Your wife is an established and experienced CPA with a substantial firm, right? Um, you have the banking and the financial background, 20 plus years, all right? And, and, and you're to be commended to, you know, as far as even, 
you know, not remaining within that construct, you know, looking for thinking outside of the box. Right. Um, but when you moved out of finance, y'all kind of moved into real estate. Isn't that right? Right. Okay. That's right. Would you talk a little bit about that? Because what you've done, what y'all have done with the infinite bank concept, you know, the, the properly structured life insurance. Um, and, and I know we're new, but, you know, just expand on how you see that integrating, you know, beyond the automobiles and beyond the retirement, but with what you're currently doing, because y'all are very active. So yeah, spend some time on that. Yeah. You mentioned Allison, I think as a family, we know if you stop and think about your world, I think no matter who you are, your number one expense is taxes, right? For everybody. Half of every dollar you have is going to be gone to taxes in some way, shape, or form. Federal, state, local sales, and all these embedded taxes. Yeah, talk about embedded. My gosh, that's embedded deep. So it's probably what? It's probably more like 60, 70%. And I think you get more like, more like toward, uh, I once read more like toward August 1st or August 15th. For That's the date after that you start actually making money for yourself up until august now it used to be used to be may or something like that up until that point you're working for the government now now we're into august and that's what taxes the way they are now yeah without government benefits right you're working for the government without the benefits that's right yeah i got it let me let me say that when we go through airports you know in the tsa now they've they've all been federalized and I can't help but think every time, and God bless them, you know, I love the freedom to travel, what what we have in America, and I love America. Um, it's like the only thing better than, a, than, than welfare is a government job with benefits. So I'm yeah. just saying we're working for the government. We don't even get benefits. <laughs> I mean, other than the roads and the borders, I get it, and the wars. I, I mean, I understand that for the listener. There's a certain amount of smaller government benefits that, that you know, are, are useful that we need. And there's a lot that there's most of it we don't, most likely, right? right. I didn't uh, mean to throw you off track. We, so. could spend, we, we could spend three hours on that, too, couldn't we? Uh, we could do. We could do a couple. Yeah, you're the kind of, yes, uh, you know, I love all of our clients. And, and, you know, you're, we absolutely, we could do two or three podcasts. We can go right down the rabbit hole, you know. So Yeah, it's just, uh, but the point about mentioning Allison, mentioning taxes, mentioning her world, but really for the general public and really just, I'm, I'm looking at our family. We know the biggest expense we will ever have is uh, is taxes. So these life insurance policies help tremendously with that. So, um, you know, along with the compound interest and so forth. But how do we integrate, back to your question, how do we integrate with real estate? Yes. So I left the banking world because of uh, um, investing in real estate. And that, and we don't, you know, our primary focus, we invest in apartment complexes. That's what we do uh, as a family. And that's a, that's a, it's just a skill set. You know, you, you learn from other people. I'm with a group that um, are a bunch of uh, educators and mentors, and it's a large group. Anybody can be a part of that group. But again, it goes back to the discipline and self-motivation to get educated on this. And I think a big mantra of that group is, is, the real estate isn't hard. People are hard, right? Mm. So if you, if you can learn the skill sets and do what these 
sort of educators and mentors of this group. It's a tremendous group and uh, learned quite a bit. If you can do what they say and sort of, and just implement these, these disciplines, um, you can, you can be disciplined and you can invest in, in these things and, and be successful. So how do you implement the becoming your own banker with investing in apartments or I guess investing in anything you can use because you can borrow from yourself over here from this whole life policy where you're still making interest in dividends because they're the, the insurance company, as it turns out, if it's the right kind, <laughs> will uh, put a lien on your money, but they're going to lend you their money. Sure. And so you're going to take their, their money and you, it's tough to get a loan from your own policy. It takes one signature in about three or four or five days and you have a loan. So I say that sarcastically uh, because uh, I'm coming from the bank, coming from the banking world where every year I, I always say there's about 10 more pages added on to those mortgage loan, ap- not applications, but closing documents. I mean, they're that thick. Oh yeah, no way. And when you get three or four investment properties, now you're going to have to cough up some pro formas, K1s, two years tax return. All of that's got to be up to date to get the, you know, the next And loan. you better have two years of, two years of uh, positive uh, global uh, cash flowing uh, real estate before they'll use it for your income or don't even show it to them. Right. So, and, and you got and, and you got to have proof of that. So, so you can take, if you're going to invest in anything, you can, you can view that as your own business. You know, when you invest in real estate, you must view it as your own business. It is a business, whether you're going in a single family, whether you're investing in a commercial building or whether you're investing in apartments, you could also invest in someone's new business or your own new business. You know, the banker fund that. Yeah. The banker can do anything they want. All right. When you have capital access to capital and, and, and and I think, I think a, a, a benefit, or even a discipline that comes along with the infinite banking concept over time, when you have access to capital and easy access to capital, that kind of puts helps helps you hone your skills, you, the investor, hone your skills on evaluating investments. Now you think about this for a minute. If my capital is over here and it is doing very well where it is and I have access to it, you know, any investment that shows up because capital does attract opportunity, right? So all these opportunities show up. So I get the ability to hone my skills in vetting an opportunity, right? If the capital can't do better in that opportunity from where it is currently, I'm not going to take advantage of that quote unquote air quotes opportunity. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, you have to you have to be educated enough to understand an investment opportunity and you'll get educated if you're going to your own <laughs> self to finance that. Right. No and, I, and I also, I don't, I don't know if I heard this or this is how I think uh, in terms of when you have capital that you can invest in opportunities, you will run out of money before you run out of investment opportunities. There are always opportunities when you have capital. How do you position yourself to take advantage of those? Well, once you do it once, you know, I've heard, I've seen and heard people who uh, might finance, self-finance, right? So I, I could theoretically take money and borrow from my policy and I could lend it to someone who's going to use it to buy a house. 
Hard money lending, huh? <laughs> Private lending, right? Uh, do you really want to do that? I don't know. Are you going to run a credit criminal check on that person or is it a buddy? Is it family? I don't know. I don't know what you want to do with it, but you're going to take more steps to vet that situation because you want a return on your, on your investment. But you'll run out of money before you run out of opportunities. Yeah. So the thing that I'm, I've implemented for us and our family and we have is we have got to take steps to fund, to capitalize. It just means put money into our life insurance policies to have the capability to get into these investment opportunities. Investment opportunity can mean anything, but if we don't have that capital, we're not going to be able to invest in that opportunity. Right, you're going to be stuck at the mercy of the third-party lender, right? Right. These via, right. That's right. You are going to be at the mercy of a third-party lender, and no one reads that fine little typed. You, no one watching this reads that paperwork that a, that a bank has you sign because most people are nervous when they sign loan documents and they just want to get through the through the through the thing. But anyway, having said all that a life insurance company that you're borrowing money from yourself. It's a one page document or you just, you make a signature and you have your money in two days or a week or two weeks and it's yours. And you decide on what schedule you pay it back um, for the most part. And so, you know, I don't, I don't see any better opportunity, but you've got to have the discipline to capitalize your own system, uh, your own bank, uh, treat it like a business. Uh, you have to treat your own family budget like a business or that's not going to be very good either. So you can, you can be blase about it and, and find yourself in the wrong kind of uh, debt, or you can treat your own family budget as a business and then create opportunities for yourself because word of mouth is powerful. Once you're involved in opportunities, people then find you who yep. create opportunities. So, okay. yeah, so it's, it's, it, it, how do we integrate it with real estate? We, we wait for the right opportunities. And I don't know if today's the right day to invest in real estate. I don't know what kind of real estate is the right opportunity for most folks. I just know what's right for us, what we like. And, and we look at the big picture. We look at the small picture. We look at the people we're investing with and you can utilize these, these policies for those types of things. Right. For sure. like you can use it for anything you want. <laughs> All right. I like to think, uh, and, and not to oversimplify, but, you know, we all have cash flows, right? We all have cash flows of some kind. If you don't, you know, God bless you, you should do something to change that. Okay. But most all of us have cash flows. And the idea is to stick a properly structured life insurance policy right in the middle of those cash flows. Because y'all, you know, in the example in y'all's case, you're investing in those apartments anyway, right? You're doing that anyway. And so if we put the life insurance policy right in between that cash flow from, you know, your savings or checking or wherever you were pulling the money from to make the investment, the investments have a return. That's a cash flow in and a cash flow out, right? And all we're trying to do is put a life insurance policy or several or whatever makes sense in right in the middle of that cash flow. And it, you know, it's, it's kind of a slow start, a slow burn. There's lots of liquidity in the first couple of years. You have to have discipline to do it. You're leveraging the cash flows. Well, you're leveraging in real estate anyway, 
right? So you have to be a, you have to have the discipline, you have to understand cash flows, and you have to be comfortable at some level with leverage. And then it's Katie bar the door. Katie, you can't do it enough. Then, then we're adding velocity to it, right? How many, it's not one apartment complex, it's not one real estate deal, it's not one automobile, it's how many automobiles are you going to finance over your lifetime? How many real estate opportunities are you going to finance over your lifetime? Velocity. Right. And then. And you don't know how many you're going to invest in, but you got to get the first one. <laughs> no question. You know, I love, I love Hayek. Uh, one of his, one of my favorite quotes of his, the mind cannot foresee its own advance. Well, none of us know the future, of course. We can't even envision. We, you can't. It's, it's difficult for us to envision our future. You know, how many apartment complexes are y'all going to enjoy? I don't know. I hope as many as you can and, 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 and control and enjoy. Why limit it? Right. Right. So. Yeah. I, you know, it's a certain way to look at things. Uh, if you can if you can have the discipline, if you can have the focus, you're never going to get anywhere if you don't have the first thing. <laughs> but if you can look at, in terms of money, we look at, we look at things in terms of monthly cash flow. You know, so if I look at, or quarterly cash flow, if I look at, at things in those terms, uh, life gets a little easier. If, if you have $5,000 in monthly expenses for you and your family, and you have cash flow every month of $6,000, can't you kind of retire? You can, you've got, you're a thousand to the good, right? Now. No, wait, I can't retire on a thousand dollars a month, Dwayne, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you're a thousand in the profit, right? You've paid off right. your expenses, now you got a thousand to go, and that 5,000, maybe it includes the fund, the vacation. Maybe, maybe your budget, is ten thousand a month, or twenty thousand a month, or three thousand dollars a month, whatever it is. Once your cash flow exceeds your monthly expenses, theoretically you can retire, and that beats right. having to take this crystal ball view of of. Uh, and many people have said this, but just what pile of money is going to be right for you? Well, there's no CFP, there's no certified financial planner, there's no broker, there's no money advisor that's going to be able to tell me the pile of money I need because I don't know what my annual expenses are going to be from year to year. Um, but I just break it down in the simplest terms. What's my monthly outgo? How much would we need to bring in and build off of that? Don't stop it. If you can have cash flow of 6,000 a month, don't stop there. See if you can keep going. Right. Uh, so that's kind of No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's that's our approach. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's working for you too, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, it's a it's a building process. This this when you be, when you try to become your own banker, that's a building process. You know, investing in apartments is a patient man's game, mm -hmm. but you have to do it on purpose, or you're never going to get to where you go. But it is a it is a very, uh, how, do, how do I say, it's the correct map for us. You know, right. it is something that is very, very doable for most anybody on the, you, you can start with the smallest levels, start where you are, wherever you are, you must start there. 
you're not gonna you're not gonna start with you know if your annual if your monthly expenses are two to three thousand and you're 29 years old and you're making a hundred thousand a year and you're about to go get a house and you're about to go get uh, a car and you're about to go get a couple kids and a wife you're going to have high expenses coming up uh you got to implement these disciplines now and get educated now <laughs> start start getting the monthly cash flow higher than your monthly expenses and never let that flip-flop keep staying ahead of that now you know what is that parkinson's law whatever your income is your your lifestyle is going to come up to that or exceed not it. parkinson's yeah. or exceed it right not parkinson's yeah. disease but parkinson's law and right. one way to succeed there is to focus on taxes and and nothing illegally just focus on taxes because that's going to be your life's biggest expense It'll be strategy not evasion right tax strategy not tax evasion write it down you know uh I, I would challenge anybody to write down, write down your budget for every single day of your life for the next year. Now that's going to require a lot of, yeah, that's going to require a lot of discipline. That's going to require a lot of discipline, a lot of thought, but what if you went ahead and did it? Yeah. That would be Over powerful. the next, just do it for the next 30 days on an Excel spreadsheet. You're not going to know every single expense and you're not going to know every single exact income that you might have, but you can do it. And if you lay it out for the next 30 days, not a monthly budget where I just say at the end of the month, I have this income and and these expenses. No, no. Write down on the fourth, I have to pay the mortgage. On the fifth, I've got to make the car payment. On the sixth, I get a paycheck for this amount. On the seventh, I have, you know, I got to pay the electric bill. How about doing a daily? budget for the month if you daily budget write down every single day's expense then do it out two three four five months then do it out six months then do it out a year you'll know exactly where you are right and that type of discipline or or maybe implementing something to that degree i know that's nuanced that's small that's micro but if you don't have a daily discipline you're never going to probably get to your ultimate goal that's my opinion no i agree and it, it it's it's a a worthy goal, you know, to do that. It, the, the earlier that we all develop discipline, the better off we are, you know. And the no, I I I have not ever met anyone that is too disciplined, right? I mean, discipline is extremely important, and then the way you think is is extremely important, and all of that is conversation until there's action taken, you know, until you actually do a budget. Until you actually, you know, um, engage with the real estate investment group or whatever it is you want to do. Until you take action, it's all conversation. And even, you know, when it comes to the infinite banking concept, we can talk about it all day long and how good it is or could be or was. And until you, as an individual, take the action, it's all conversation. All right. So I'm just. That's right. That's right. I think when you lay out what you have. Don't, don't take yourself down to the smallest molecule and say, boy, if I just cut every single expense, man, I'll be, I'll be better off. I don't think you ought to have a, uh, eat beans and rice mentality. I think you ought to have a shoot for the stars mentality. (laughs) I'm not at the stars. I'm not at the top of the mountain by far. We, we still have a long way to go, but, uh, we, I try to think bigger and try to get there as opposed to taking myself down 
to a certain level. And I think that's what laying out a grid, a plan for yourself over the next year to five years, whatever you can muster, whatever you can do. We, we try to look down the road and we just try to get there. And, and I kind of work, I like working backwards from that and saying, well, if I get, if I can get there in a year to three years to five years, what do I need to do? I back up and I say, well, if I do that by next month, I can get there. Um, and, and the whole foundation, the, the foundation of the house is, is this becoming your own banker strategy. It's, it's, it's having that vehicle, that whole life policy, uh, you, you've got to kind of start there, capitalize that whole system, and then you can branch off and go. And you can keep your focus. You can do things. Don't do things linear. I think you ought to do things all at the same time. <laughs> you ought to read. You ought to educate. You ought to get the policy going. You ought to, you know, uh, focus on your cash flow from your real estate or from your job or your own business. Uh, try to implement all these things. Um, try to Try to go for a walk five times a week and be healthy, try to eat a little healthier, you know, things like that. Everyone knows, everyone can do these things. Um, it's just, will you execute? You know, it's kind of like working out. Everyone knows if you work out, if you walk, if you eat healthy, you'll, you'll have, uh, you'll have good numbers when you go to the doctor, but does everyone do it? No, but people know what to do in general. Yeah, sure. Sure. They do. Well, um, y'all, y'all have been, you know, engaged. Well, I guess you started researching about a year ago, right? Is that right? About a year ago. So here we are a year later, y'all have implemented, you know, are, are y'all, you know, getting to the point where you at as far as I like to think of the policies as being an operating account, you know, at some point in time, sooner, the sooner, the better, you know, especially in y'all's case where, you know, you're doing the real estate actively investing, actively have, you know, cash flows and, you know, maybe deal sell and what have you. And then there's a big influx of money. But, you know, are you moving in? Just share with me um, and us. Are you moving into that position where the policies are becoming an operating account? And Yeah, we're getting we're getting uh, we're kind of at that point now where. We have capitalized our first major policy, sort of the foundational policy, and we can uh, borrow from it and have borrowed from it. Um, the first thing we did was borrow from it uh, to help buy a new car. Is that right? <laughs> Only because the engine blew up in the old car. Otherwise, we oh, probably yeah. would have gotten a new car. Unexpected. But we've right. done that. Yeah, that's right. And so you mentioned real estate, there's opportunities that are here now, potential investments. We are, if we invest in these opportunities and we're still analyzing a couple of them, if we do that, we're at the position now with the policy where we can, we can use the policy, borrow from it, uh, to invest that capital in the, in the apartment. Um, so we're, we're at that point. So we're building that policy and then, I just, I keep thinking in my mind about one of those phrases Nelson Nash said in that book, and that was your policy premiums should equal your income, something like that. So that's a mind blower. Right. <laughs> well, it was for me. I had to kind of reread that mm-hmm. and then think about it and then think about it some more. That's the point we're trying to get to. Right. You know, our, that- our income going fully into, the, into a policy and then using the policy as our you know, the day to day. Yeah. 
and that that that's a process of time you know even to wrap your mind around that and um i think you know everybody who really practices the infinite banking concept at a at a you know a substantial level or at a serious level or very active um that's really a goal that everyone works toward but you know i gotta i gotta share with you i had a convert i've had lots of conversations with nelson nash right but we had several conversations about that in particular way back you know uh i don't know 13 14 15 years ago you know i was i'm like nelson how in the world can someone's income meet their premium you know how can how can all of your income be premium and uh, he said well james you know your your premium should exceed your income so my mind was blown and then he blew it again and I'm like, well, now, listen, I'm trying to wrap my mind around, you know, my, my, my income equaling my premium or premium equaling income. How can my premium exceed the income? He said, well, don't those policies pay dividends? I said, yes. So there's a point in time in the future that the premium and with the dividend being directed to the paid up additions portion, it's premium to the life insurance company, to the policy. So, you know, about the time you think you have your mind wrapped around something, you know, you hear or see something that you didn't hear or see before. So, well, you think to yourself, why would I do that? Right. Just think, why would I? Why would I have my income and premiums equal? Well, the answer is because if your income, if you going back to the five, six thousand dollar a month example uh, and your expenses, what if? All six thousand dollars went into your life insurance premium mm-hmm. per month. Seventy-two thousand a year. Seventy-two thousand a year. Uh, and what if, when you borrowed money out of that policy, you were allowed to pay the interest only for as long as you felt it necessary? I mean, you can pay down the policy. You can you can implement a strategy where you're paying two, three, eight percent above what the what the policy loan rate is. And you can do that monthly. You can implement that quarterly, annually. But what if you just kind of, I don't know, what if four years went by and you paid the interest only? That policy principal amount and that interest in dividends, uh, it gets substantial. Now, the loans would get substantial. But, you know, you got to have your discipline with this. Sure, and, sure. And pay down your loans. So, there, but, it, but you uh, can do it on your schedule. Yeah, yeah, you know, it can be done. It just takes a little time, you know, and uh, it's a worthy go. It's a, the correct direction for, you know, a lot of people. Um, you know, I must say on the outstanding loans, there's that's in I feel my opinion that I think there's kind of a missing um, resource or informational resource about how to manage loans, you know, in the longer term. Um but, you know, we're diligently working to create content material that, that would help uh, alleviate some of that ignorance or the, the non-existence of how do, you, how do you treat loans? And, I mean, it's very easy if, if um, in the short term, you know, if I'm going to finance an automobile, I mean, I'm not going to personally finance an automobile over four years personally, right? So that's that's pretty finite. You know, we can see that. But how do I how do I manage these outstanding loans when I'm doing two or three apartments, a house, a vacation, and now I'm moving into retirement and I want to finance my retirement, supplemental income in retirement? 
right? How do I manage those loans? So I want to say that the outstanding loan cannot outcompound the cash value, and the death benefit must always outcompound the cash value, right? So your outstanding loan cannot exceed the cash value. The cash value cannot exceed the death benefit. So if you have a lot of outstanding loans, and I've seen or heard of people getting in trouble with these outstanding loans with, you know, in the infinite banking world, 10 years in, in the past, um, that you, we just have to learn to manage that outstanding loan. It's really not that complicated, right? If my outstanding loan is going to compound or outcompound my cash value, then I may have to make a loan reduction payment, or I may have to, you know, pay more than just interest only, or I may have to take less in the next loan. Um, it's simple, right? It's just, you know, life insurance structured this way and then used and integrated into everything you're doing in your, you know, personal financial economy. It's, it's different. We're not taught. So we have to learn. Um, but it is simple. It's hard to yeah, say. if you use... Yeah, I agree. Yeah. If you, and you know way more about this than me, you've been implementing it a lot longer. And, and the, the only way you're going to be successful from a loan perspective and financing perspective is you have to control it. You cannot get, let this get away from you. You have to be able to set yourself, whatever your plan is, you may be, uh, if you're a business owner and you have choppy income spurts, you know, you're getting a quarterly profit and you're able to pay yourself this quarter, but not next quarter. That's a long gap, right? It might be six months before you make what you make. And then maybe it's seasonal and you're making money on the back end. Mm-hmm. You pay, you may not pay interest only up until then. You might, you might pay principal, some principal down when you, so I think at a minimum every year, you've got to pay whatever interest accumulated on that loan. If you look at it a year from when the day you bought it or, or, or got it. And then, and then if, and then you need to, you know, get that chunk down that those, those principal payments. And the, and the beautiful thing is if you're chunking down principal payments and you think, well, am I putting too much into this? Do I need to hold this back? Well, you can just borrow it back out if you actually, right. if you need it. Right. I mean, you could even, you could even implement where you chunk in principal three months in a row and you say, I think I need that back. What you've done is you've reduced the interest that's built up on it. You've, 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 interfered with it. Uh, by the way, you always want to interfere. If you have anybody out there has amortization on their home, their mortgage, interfere oh, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the worst thing for you and the terrific thing for banks is is an amortization schedule. So. Coming from a previous banker <laughs> mortgage lender. Right. right. You know, these policies, that's why they're great as far as um, they allow you to create your own discipline, but discipline you've got to have to pay. You can't just borrow willy-nilly it's not it's not magic the cool thing is you can borrow from them at your discretion and you can borrow um you can use them how you want you may be a person who doesn't want any loans you can just build these things up right nothing wrong with having too much capital right right i don't mean to steal your lingo but if you yeah. if you had uh, insurable interest and you knew 10 people that you had an insurable interest on you could have what 10 policies if you've got if you've got the capital if you can get it now, past over time, you probably want that right over time you're going to probably have to start thinking of people you know uh that you have an insurable interest on so um uh, you, yep. so yeah you know loans are how you treat them you know 
Uh, if you treat debt, if you use debt the right way, you can, you can get wealthier. Most real estate investors use debt. Not all. Some people, no, I'm not going to touch that, but most, most apartment investors I know, they all use debt. They have to. Sure. It's hard to buy a $20 million apartment complex with cash. You don't even want to. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to cash flow like you want to. So that's, <laughs> you got to yeah, have that's leverage. part of the education. That's part of the education process. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to learn this, these things. Uh, there's all kinds, you can go out and look at all kinds of apartment investors on YouTube, all kinds of good people telling you their story and how they did it. Uh, and it just comes down to a skill set. Um, your skill set needs to be managing your own, your own function and, and your own loans. And, and, and you can, it's not, it's not that difficult, right? Um, but you have to do it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the, uh, business owner earlier or the apartment complex, um, investor and, and cash flows with the business owner, you know, cash flows with the investor leverage with the investor. Most businesses use leverage, you know, in some form or fashion. Um, and when there's never, when there's not a problem, there's not a problem, right? As long as the economy is going like gangbusters, the markets, whether it's real estate or stock markets, um, you know, everything's okay when there's not a problem. But when problems appear and you're leveraged or over leveraged, that's when bad things happen, right? That's when the third party lenders show up and, you know, you signed personal guarantees on all those loans. Um, all that leverage, things go wrong. Um, you know, you've backed that loan up by your assets and the assets. So watch that what you, you personally guarantee. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and I know there are loans out there, you know, um, non-recourse loans. I get all that, but that's not the majority of the loans that are available. <clears throat> and all loans, all loans, are callable, right? The fine detail. If you do the wrong thing, that. everything's everything's going to be callable. You know, and you mentioned thing. If things are going well, it's fun to leverage, right? So the whole. Right. I might be opening up a can of worms. If you talk about the Federal Reserve, right? Well, you brought it up, so let's talk about. It. <laughs> I know, right? So their whole goal is to uh, leverage, leverage, right? Keep providing, keep printing money, keep devaluing the dollar. So it's hard for people to get the concept of the more money they print, the less valuable the dollar in your hand yeah. is, but they have to create debt. That's how they create money in our, in our economy. The federal reserve is not a federal institution of the United States. It's like a, it's a hybrid, right? It's in, it's owned by the biggest banks in the, in the world. Privately owned entity, right? Privately owned. It's not a, it's not a U.S. government organization. Um, I'm not saying they don't do things. Well, now wait a minute. The president appoints all the board, right? <laughs> so yeah, they well, don't. I they don't have any reserves either. <laughs> so you got what twelve branches out there, and you got yeah. seven board members, but they're they're not filled. I mean, I think there's only four or five uh, board members filled right now. You've got the Fed head, Fed chairman uh, Jerome Powell. If they can the economy, all go home as far as I'm concerned. They what can are, what are we at? 21? Are we at 21 trillion in the United States? Yeah. They ain't knocking on the door 22. Yep. And I think China has half of our economy, but they have 40 trillion in debt. Um, so 
I don't know. I don't know how much longer the United States government can and and the Fed uh, keep keep things going. Um, you could have the greatest president in the world, as business savvy as as Donald Trump is. It. I don't think it matters. It's the, really the Fed that's going to determine, and it's going to be their issue whether things fall fall down or how deeply we go. Um, if you look behind the numbers, I think it looks it's probably a lot worse than, than it feels right now. And I think it's dangerous. Um, so don't get yourself over leveraged. Don't get, don't get over your skis with things. It's easy to get credit right now from a bank or even like a non-bank, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, non-bank finance company. What do these non-bank finance companies do? They just borrow, buy money from a bank. So it's really through a bank, right? Oh, so your local bank. big bank, you, you don't go to them for the loan. You say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going over here to this non-bank lender. I'm going to borrow from them. Well, all they've done is borrow money from the big bank that you didn't go to yourself. And most likely. It. <laughs> and they just repackage it and upsell it to you. And you're the read, you're the read, but you can get credit right now. Sure. But there comes a certain point where banks aren't going to lend money easily. And it comes when their cost of funds is too high. And we're at that point. We're at that point. You know, the fed funds rate is two point, what? Three, 2.4. And you look at the 10 year yield, right? And it's down around 2%, I think, as we speak. But um, yeah, the, so at a certain point in time, uh-huh. you know, the, they, they, bar, they, they borrow, a bank borrows short, uh-huh. lends long, lends long to you and me, right? And then they pay you nothing in your checking and savings, right? So <laughs> there you go. They're paying you half percent and they're lending at 5%. Oh, it's worse than that, you know. I think it's worse than that. And, and, and so I put money in the bank. It's a deposit, right? Well, they're, they're with the fractional reserve system, right? They're lending out nine times at a minimum more than. So they can lend out I mean, $10. You deposit a dollar. They can lend 10 Right. Now, now they're charging on, they're charging interest on money and digits that didn't exist until you signed the loan agreement. So your actions, you, me, all of us, you in the big wide world, you created, you, that's your hand, that's your part in this inflationary system, right? The money didn't exist until you pledged, you know, real, real value, your time, effort, and energy, assets, future production so the money or the digits didn't exist until you pledge real value right then it's created then they charge interest on that money that didn't exist so the banks make more money not just on the spread is all i'm saying the fractional reserve system is is worse than it appears right um and yeah, the easy money, right? Um, interest rates are low. Well, no wonder the stock market's up. No wonder the real estate market's up. You know, what creates these bubbles? And and I'm not saying it solely, you know, is dependent upon the interest rate set by the Federal Reserve, but that's the major part of it. You know, that's the whole crux. Of Here I am talking about using loans from your policy to invest in right but when you borrow from a policy they have the money the insurance company has the money right right they can't leverage they cannot leverage right so when you borrow from a policy to go buy an apartment or buy a into a business um 
that's that's a true system of how it ought to work, in my opinion. Free because markets assets are only going to go work that way. Free yeah. markets, assets are only going to go up so much, right? But but what's happened? You've got, like you said, a fractional reserve system. So by virtue of all of us making a deposit at a bank, you have automatically devalued the dollar that you just deposited. Why? Because the bank's going to take that one dollar. Now they can lend nine more to somebody somewhere uh-huh. out of thin air. Uh-huh. And that's what the Federal Reserve does. The Federal Reserve lends money. They print money out of thin air. They have infinite returns every year. I think, I, I think their stated goal is, or, or, or what they typically get paid, somewhere around 6% More annually. Ever. But that's not <laughs> 6%, right? That's infinite. Because yeah. it didn't cost them, what did it cost them to print all that money? You know? It doesn't matter when you can make an infinite return, right? Yeah. I'll call it infinite, right? It I'll is. call it infinite. Yeah, yeah. So your friend Ryan knows more about this stuff than than me. But anyway, I think I think we're headed for a we're headed for a, you know probably a lot of a uh, lot of inflation. Rates are going to keep going lower, in my opinion. Um, the Federal Reserve, the United States government, cannot afford for them to go higher. They have too much debt to pay. So that if the interest rates go higher for the United States government. They can't afford the debt, even the interest payments on those. I think we're getting toward a trillion a year in just interest payments uh, alone. So if you tick up rates a tenth, ten basis points, a tenth one. Think of how many. I don't know the math on what that does to increase what they have to pay, and that's before all the all the federal programs. Yeah, so we don't have the money. We don't have the money to increase rates. Rates have to go down. They have to go down. So they're going to. They're probably going to zero. Um, the Federal Reserve, you, you want the Fed funds rate. You want me to keep that in this podcast? You want me to edit that out in the future? I'm just saying. Yeah, no, I think will they be I'm after kidding. me? Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. edit it out, whatever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in there. I'm not. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Um, and you're right. You know, interest rates go up. Man, that's a, a an exponential increase in their cost of debt service all right i get it but um have you ever heard before you were exposed to the infinite banking concept that life insurance is a hedge against inflation did you ever hear that before no no i think that that's not something that's go ahead no no go ahead it, I, I didn't know it either. 14 years in the life insurance business never made sense to me. You know, you're buying death benefit for pennies on the dollar, you know, back in the day. that That's pretty easy. You can wrap your mind around that. But life insurance turns out, life insurance, I discovered, life insurance is the best hedge against inflation on a cash flow. All right? it's, it is a hedge against inflation, right? But it's the best hedge against inflation on a cash flow that I've been exposed to. It's incredible when you consider what you can do with life insurance, not only the death benefit, the cash values, access to capital to buy appreciating cash flowing assets, but the the hedge against inflation on a cash flow is extremely powerful. But I just wanted to throw that out there. That because that was a 
that, that was an eye-opening thing to me. It's like, oh, my gosh, I don't even believe these numbers. You know, you look at a life insurance illustration, it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't believe those. But yeah, once you, once you can get out of the – yeah, once you can get out of the gates with these and get over some of the – you know, there are, there are costs associated with getting these policies going within the policy. But, you know, I, I don't know how many people, if you if – you, have fifty thousand dollars in savings are you going to use it all tomorrow the answer would be no so if you put fifty thousand into a policy and get this exponential benefit or the death benefit automatic right there you can borrow what 30 you know 60 70 percent within a year or two yeah typically in the first year yeah yeah and it just gets better in the second year third year fourth year and continues to get better right and it's a hedge against inflation because what, what is the inflation rate? Well, CPI is one thing, right? That's what the stated, but you know, the way that these policy, uh, uh, executive, these insurance executives that where you have your policy, the way they invest in these, uh, you know, the cash, they have to invest in a certain way that meets all the things they're going to have to pay out in the future. So they have to invest in, they themselves invest in the commercial real estate and high grade, debt, so forth. So, you know, that, there's your hedge right there. So you, you have to make something. If you sit $10,000 on your kitchen table next year, uh, that $10,000 is worth less than it was the day you set it on that table. Mm-hmm. Because every year the value of the dollar is going lower and lower thanks to debt, total, total debt, money, money supply, so money being printed, debt being created, add those two, and you get and you get more dollars in the system. So therefore your dollar you set on that table, that ten thousand dollars is worth less in a year. You know, take you know, and so it's what are you gonna do to make money with that ten thousand dollars such that it's at least worth so it can buy what it could buy last year, this year. Right. Well, don't leave out taxes. Right, don't leave out taxes because, you know, it, it's it's just another. We're all fighting the headwinds of taxation and inflation, the devaluation, the purchasing power, the losing purse, purchasing power of the dollar. No question. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's the that's the number one reason. You know, it, think of this: the per- typical person knows what a Roth IRA is. Mm-hmm. You can think of these life insurance policies as an unlimited Roth IRA that's right. better than a Roth IRA. Because a Roth IRA, if you make X amount of money, you can't purchase Roth. You can't, you can't put money into a Roth IRA. Uh, your income can exclude you from the ability of participating in the Roth IRAs, right? That's right. And so you also don't get a death benefit with a Roth IRA. But if you're a, if you're a wealthy person, and you make $2 million a year, which I am not and I don't, but if you're that person, you can buy a life insurance policy that's way higher than the, what is the $6,000 annual limit right now on a Roth IRA. Right. These policies sort of act Let's like a Roth up. IRA, in another, mm-hmm. but with way more benefits. You can't borrow from your Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have a death benefit with a Roth IRA. Well, now you can get a self 
you look, you hang around the real estate groups and they 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 talk about the solo 401k right and then they talk right. about the self-directed roth ira you put you know six thousand eighteen thousand over six thousand a year for three years eighteen thousand dollar balance in a roth ira and you're going to go into the real estate business right partially right maybe some options or whatever um how long does it take to build you can't put a hundred thousand dollars into a Roth IRA through contributions. I understand there's backdoor conversions, uh, you know, traditional right. plans. I get all that. But fundamentally, you know, if you have like the $2 million example that you mentioned, um, man, I can pay a $500,000 life insurance premium pretty easily if I'm disciplined, right? And I know what's going on and I understand leverage and cash flows and I can get it past the underwriter. Now, what can I do with, you know, 70% of 500000 in real estate? You can do a lot. Yeah, I can do some damage, all right? You can't become your own banker with a raw. <laughs> right, all right. So, so it's very difficult, let's say, let's, let's say that, yeah. Yeah, they all, they're all, the, all the choices have challenges and characteristics, and none that I'm aware of are, are favored to the owner or the participant. You know, the qualified plans, um, owners of life insurance policies or CDs or margin accounts or whatever. There's I don't I don't I believe you have the most control, right, with life insurance. And when it's structured correctly, it has all of the characteristics that are required for a private banking entity. And it's based in contract law. The qualified retirement plans, all traditional and the Ross. IRAs, 401ks, 457, 403B, solo 401k, all of them are exceptions to the Internal Revenue Code. So the Internal Revenue Code came into existence in 1913. All right. The qualified plans came after the pensions. The pensions include, they're really the genesis of the this idea of qualified plans they're exceptions to the internal revenue code life insurance predates by over 100 years the federal income tax the internal revenue code so i'm just pointing out that you know i want i don't want to make a tax scheme out of it i want to use after tax dollars and i understand the life insurance industry has created all kinds of sales tools, products, and ideas, you know, the cash balance plan to get a deduction for your premium, the executive bonus, split dollar, they've created all these sales concepts to integrate and participate in the tax code, right? Where fundamentally, if I fund life insurance policies with after-tax dollars owned privately, I'm, I'm not making a tax scheme out of it. I'm not trying to make it better by making a tax scheme out of it. It is good in and of itself, period, by its existence. How I make that better is me, the owner, using, through leverage, collateralization, I'm borrowing against the cash value, to go do what I was going to do anyway, whatever that is. And vacations real estate automobiles business um and 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 now i don't have to worry about the tax code 
I don't have to worry about the market. I don't have to worry about interest rates. I don't have to worry about performance, tax, K-1s, two years of this, the banker's approval, my credit score. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And my God, that is liberating. You know, that's it is. Um, Think about that. Think about this. Like if we just, if you just simplify, you just simplified this whole thing. The, 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 I'm just one individual, and uh, maybe people will say uh, bad things about me. But no matter what you say about these life insurance policies, these policies. Let's say you had one, and it was your foundational policy. You don't need. 401, in my opinion, I'm not an advisor, right? I realize you probably have to watch what you say, James, but I, I don't. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not saying anything that, you know, I mean, I say what I believe and I call it like it is. Right. So let's say you had the correctly structured life insurance policy with the correct mutual company. You don't have to have, and it's not, it's not beneficial to have, in my opinion, a 401k, a 403b, a 457, a solo IRA, a SEP IRA, uh, a, a loan from a bank. Um, and this is all building for me, right? This is, I'm not totally, I haven't totally, it's going to take a couple of years for us to get all the way to where we want. But you don't need all these other vehicles. You don't need the savings account to check, you know, yes, a bank account that you have quick access to cash for. Fine, yeah, we'll, we'll always have that, you know. But it's not the primary source, and certainly not a savings account, and certainly not a non-retirement mutual fund or stock account. These are not the primary vehicles. So you can take all those, except for one little checking account that you need for your daily expenses, I guess, and use that to back and forth with your policy. You can just have a big foundational policy, and over the years, you implement more policies as your cash and your income uh, uh, as you're able to do that and need to do that to keep expanding your business, right? To keep adding branches to your to your own bank, I guess. Right. You know, it's interesting that... It's control. It is control. And it's interesting, and I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that's really the position that you have grown into, right? And I think this is extremely right. important. The background of your wife, Allison, CPA. Your background of Wall Street at different levels, right, in the financial world, your active background current in real estate, okay, the background in your current activities in real estate. And that's what um, I, I believe you're, what I'm hearing is you're saying that's what your perspective is. You don't need all these things. This infinite banking replaces a, an awful lot of that and gives you increased control, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what we're hearing? That is exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And then let me say as control. Uh, no, right. Simplification and control. And then, and, and I do want to say some kind of a disclaimer, disclosure here that we're not telling anybody to do anything, right? Until they have sought their, you know, uh, advice from their professionals at whatever level, tax attorneys investment advisors whatever we're encouraging people i want to encourage people to consider this ability to become your own banker you know i don't want anyone doing anything until they have done their research and their due diligence and they have sought all the advice and counsel that they need before they make a decision right 
Um, but I'm in agreement with you. I just want to say that because I don't want people to do anything expecting them to like you know become their own banker tomorrow or you know you may not be able to qualify for life insurance you may not whatever your situation is and then if i continue i would encourage everyone listening or watching that you should read nelson nash's first book becoming your own banker his second book building your warehouse of wealth and then there's other books and resources so you should do your homework before you take any action right that's that's my encouragement okay so you know fair i agree i agree i you know the whole reason i came on your podcast is a i like talking to you very knowledgeable about what you do and you focus on this and this is you are the reason that i have implemented and have begun implementing and will continue to implement all of this but you didn't call me and pressure me and say Dwayne, you must do this these are you, you are crazy if you're thinking about doing anything else. No, this was, this is something that I feel like I, I came on because I'm the average guy in America, I think. I'm, I'm below average in a lot of categories. No, he's <laughs> That's not. okay. But that's cool, you know. I, but I, I appreciate your humility. <laughs> well, uh, um, uh, you know, I'm that way for a reason. But so getting past whether... Uh, someone knows me very well or not. I feel like I'm the average person. I feel like we have the average family. I feel like, I feel like the average person in, in this country ought to simplify things and go down the correct map. A lot of people are going down over here at this map or this map or this map. And you can be a blue collar worker and you can be a guy on an assembly line you can be a guy working in an auto factory. You can be a guy on Wall Street. You can be a real estate investor. You can have a, your own YouTube channel. You can be an Amazon salesman. You can work for Amazon corporate. You could do whatever you want. In every single one of those types of professions, you can implement this becoming your own banker strategy because this isn't about what is in, in four months, what do I look like? Am I going to be rich? Right. No, no, it's not about that. It's about you don't have to worry about investing in mutual funds or a 401k, mutual funds within a 401k. You don't have to worry about investing and picking the right stocks. You don't have to. You don't have to buy a 10-year bond. You don't have to buy a treasury note. If you can get the right company, the right policy, you get someone like yourself. Uh, I mean, you're the first qualified or, or licensed uh, or or I'll say what certified person in the Nelson Nash Institute. What that means to the average person like me is, James really knows this stuff about becoming your own banker and becoming your own banker is about taking control of your finances and your world. And, and it takes away a lot of stress. You know, you don't have to, maybe people aren't stressed who don't, who just invest in 401ks or who, have a lot of a, a lot of debt load out there with right that that's why big farm is going broke right big farm is going broke because nobody's stressed <laughs> yeah right so I'm just you release and everybody's releasing a lot of cortisol these days it's a high stress world right i mean you know there's 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 facebook and you got to keep up with the joneses this isn't about keeping up with the joneses this is just your own family, get your own thing going. You can get your own thing going no matter what level you're on. And you can, if you talk to the right person and James, you're as, you're as nice and humble, but 
extremely knowledgeable and uh, thank you. Unassuming, and I and I, you know, but but all that to say, it's it's just um, we're doing this with average people. We're implementing this. It's not going to make us rich, right? I don't know what the future holds, but I know by having this type of policy, we at least have control simplification, and we're going to do better in this policy than the average mutual fund will do. That's my opinion, right? <laughs> That's what I think will happen. Well, and I appreciate you saying that all of that, and I appreciate the, uh, you know, the accolade, the endorsement, what have you. And I don't want to make it a commercial. I really don't. But, you know, I see you, Dwayne, and, and your lovely wife, Allison, and I really hope to meet you someday, you know, face to face, press to flesh. Um, right. I I see y'all not. I don't. I think we're all average. You know, we're all above average. I don't even like that average. But I, you're a quality individual. You're knowledgeable in a lot of areas, and you're experienced in real estate. And you 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 have no skin in the game as far as life insurance or infinite banking. You don't get paid in any any way. Nope. Um, None. You know, and I, I, I and I asked you if you would do a podcast, and you graciously accepted. And I think the value is exactly you and your background and what you're doing and the thought process that it, you had to go through to get to the point to implement this concept. And I think there are hundreds of thousands of all American individuals that are unaware that. They, they just have they've never been exposed to this concept they're unaware of the power that we could have when we're controlling the banking function at the you and me level right it when you get through the constructed noise iras 401ks tax schemes and get down to the you and me level we need access to capital right and then we need discipline there's no question and then we just access that capital collaterally to do whatever we were going to do anyway and the end result of that over time is more powerful and i think that that's what you're alluding to earlier is going to be more powerful than depending on something that you have no control over whatever market that may be so that's right that's right no that's well said you know i don't uh i wouldn't I wouldn't have done this or come on if I didn't think this was the right thing to do. Uh, and people can go on. Most likely, if, if a thousand people view this, two or three will take action and do something. That's fine. That's Nothing will happen unless you do something. <laughs> so it doesn't matter, I guess, what ultimately you and I say. I hope somebody can take one, just one or two people can just maybe get a little confidence to, to at least Go get the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and read it a time or two. The second thing might be call your favorite insurance person. They're not going to know about Becoming Your Own Banker, just like 99.9% .9 of bankers don't know what Becoming Your Own Banker is. I was in that world for a long time, and I never heard this said one time, not a single time did I ever hear it uttered ever. And this has been around for how long? Since the... He wrote the book in 2001 or two, something like that. Yeah, he printed the book in 2000, and he discovered in 1980, and he'd been teaching the concept for 20 years, right? He'd been really practicing this, you know, earlier than 
1980, but it took formation from 1980. Then he printed the book in 2000. So, Right. So step one was me reading the book a couple times, looking at YouTube. I, I happened upon you out there. You do some great educational podcasts. I'm just, I, that's me saying that. That's not James telling me to say that. Um, but not only you, I looked at others who may or may not be uh, financial advisors or agents and uh, looked at what they had to say. And, uh, and then I picked up the phone and, and called you and we spoke. All we had was a conversation. And then we had another conversation and another one. So that was step two. And then step three is after you look at a couple of examples of what maybe you as an, uh, what I could look at after I looked at a couple of examples that you created for me, I can make that decision and I could have done it or not done it, but I think it's uh, extremely beneficial in a lot of ways. And then, and then we went ahead and implemented it. And now when we implemented it and set up the policy, now we got to fund the policy and capitalize the policy. Then we got to, are we going to, we're getting the car anyway, right? Are we going to fund it? Are we going to pay cash? No. You'll learn in the book. That's not the smartest thing to do. Are we going to borrow from the bank? No. Are we going to fund it ourselves? Uh, by borrowing from the policy and paying the policy loan back at our discretion. Uh, simple interest on these things. It's not amortized interest. It's a big nuance. Everyone ought to get familiar with if they're not already. And then we'll fund some real estate investments here in the near future with that policy. Over here on the side, we're going to keep saving every month and funding and capitalizing that policy over here. When that gets to the point where it's capitalized uh, for a given year at the maximize, if we have any more cash, start a new policy, uh, put it on someone else in our family. Um, you know, we put it on our kids, put it on whoever that we have an insurable interest with. And we'll keep building our bank and we'll keep trying to use our bank to do whatever. And if you're someone who wants to go out there and invest in a business, start your own business, I can't think of a better way to, to get that going than to fund your own policy and to use it to start your own business. No, I agree. Thank you for saying that. Any other any other comments in, in closing? I don't know how long we've been going, but it's may have to cut this in half and make two-parter. I know I, I know I rambled. This is the first podcast I've ever done, and uh, I was pretty terrible, but I appreciate you. No, you did fine. Me Listen to that. It was, you it know, was I, fun. Yeah, no, I had fun. I always, I always enjoy talking with you, Dwayne, um, and I appreciate you coming on and, and talking, you know, and, and recording it on a on a podcast but i think there's value here i'm not trying to sell anybody anything you're not trying to convince anybody of anything we're just talking having a conversation about you know what we know and what we've done and what we're doing and i think there's value in that you know um right 15 years ago whenever i was exposed to the concept there was Nelson Nash's book, 92 page. That was it. You know, there was nothing on YouTube. There was nothing on SoundCloud, iTunes. And, um, you know, you had to travel all over the country to listen to somebody that had any knowledge to to learn. And so I think there's value. You know, if, um, if somebody is interested in learning, they need to hear from people like you of your caliber, you know, your background, your thought process. What are you doing? Because... Um, we all have the same feelings, you know, we all think the same things whenever we're exposed to it. It's kind of difficult to get past some 
preconceived ideas or hurdles. So I think there's value, and I don't care if five people listen to it or 500. That's you right. Know what I mean? so. If one or two people get, get something out of this, I think that's great. Um, you know, there's a reason wealthy people use this strategy. Wealthy, wealthy people, family family if you don't know what a family office is that sounds very mundane doesn't it family offices is you know a whole a whole team managing a wealthy family's money and that family may be involved heavily on the day-to-day with that or they may not be Uh, but these wealthy families use these banks themselves have huge life insurance policies and it's because of the safety and the uh that's where they yeah that's where they put their tier one capital. Barry Dock, my friend, a friend of mine, Barry Dock, author. Um, he's written three books, published, working on his fourth. His first book, Pirates of the Pirates of Manhattan. Right, he he documents um, the reserves that that banks own in Bowley, bank owned life insurance. You know, so mm-hmm. Bowley, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, Bowley. That's a pretty good, you know, resource. You can go online. You can call our office, go on our website. I think we sell them. I don't, I'm not sure. I think we do, but pretty good read. But anyway, what else, young man? What else? You want to do another one? Yeah, I'll do another one with you. It's fun. You know, we'll talk about people behind their back on on YouTube. You know, it'll be fun. No, at least least institutions, right? Oh, no. Yeah, I'll beat up the industry. I'll beat up the industry all day long. You know, and you know, I think it's just. Fun. I think the big thing is people are going to say or think, "Well, if this works, why isn't everyone doing it?" And I always say this: "Well, working out and eating right works, but are you doing it? And is and is everyone around you doing it? Ooh, we know it works. Are you doing it? Right? You're being you're being harsh there. Anyway. <laughs> I know that's kind of direct, isn't it? But I'm just saying, right? Does it work? I think it works. I know it works. You know. I, I believe it works, so, too. It's working for us. Um, We're having fun. Yeah. But I'd be glad to, yeah. It'll be it'll be fun. And maybe one day I'll get the audio working on my side. So. Yeah, man. I, I'm gonna, we're going to grind up the sound engineer <laughs> producing this thing. I mean, the audio. Well, you can just cut out half of what I said anyway. That'll, that'll yeah. be a good start but, probably. Right? Look, he's young. He'll recover. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. All right, yeah. Dwayne. Thank you. I, I appreciate you greatly for sharing with us and coming on and talking. And, and I really would like to have you back and you know talk some more. Okay. At least we can go down a rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. Let's go down a rabbit hole. Sounds good. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, thank James. You. Talk See to you, you soon. Bye-bye. Right. Bye bye.